0: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. I'm your host for this one, Matt Santangelo. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Joining me today is um, in a bit of a role reversal. Usually he's the one hosting or he's, you know, uh, taking uh, different duties here. But today I'm going to be in the hosting seat. I am joined by my good friend and fellow IFD colleague, Joe Sirocco. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at JoeAntonioC. Joe, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, thanks, Matt. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a reversal. Uh, I'm here on the other side, uh, but I'm happy to be back uh, with you and talking some Calcio this week. A bit of an international flavor this time around with the uh, little bit of uh, the break, uh, the international break coming, coming up. Uh, excited for... Despite everything, I am excited to see the the Azzurri back, and uh, we have a lot to talk about uh, on the rebirth of of the Azzurri, the new generation, year zero coming up. Uh, We all know what happened in November, um, some of us are still trying to move on, but a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, and this is uh, the first very small step in the rebuild of the Italian national team.
0: Agree more, Joe. You know, again, as you just mentioned, you know, there's you know, despite the fact that Italy's not going to the World Cup, there this is a pivotal moment for Italy, and I guess we're going to d- take a deep dive into that. Obviously, Italy has two friendlies coming up, um, during this international break, of course, against Argentina and England. Both will be taking place in England, of course, one at the Etihad. One at uh, Wembley as well. So definitely some interesting things to focus on over this international break. And there's some bit, sort of some pivotal games for Italy in the sense that, you know, there's some new phrases. It's the post-Ventura uh, era, which, you know, let's face it, didn't go down as as we'd hoped. But again, you know, that's what we're going to cover off, obviously, in this podcast. And then at the end, I will let Joe touch upon briefly the Serie A TV rights, because I think that's something that's very fascinating. And I think that's something that's going to be very important to look at as we kind of creep towards the end of this season and as we look forward to the 2018-2019 um, the Serie A season. So, again, we're going to start with the Azzurri. Obviously, on the weekend, it miss all the um, commotion with the uh, with the Serie A fixtures and things like that. Obviously, we're not going to get too much into that. Again, we want to transition more towards the Azzurri and what's going on with the Italian national team. Luigi Di Biagio, he is the interim manager this time around. Of course, there was some speculation post-Ventura as to who would take up this role. Uh, you know, Mancini was mentioned, uh, return for Antonio Conte was, was thrown out there as well. I heard um, a little bit of Claudio Ranieri, who's doing fantastic with Nantes in, um, in Ligue 1. So there were some of the bigger profile names that were mentioned. Of course, Di Biagio was one of those kind of uh, dark horse options, if you will. Again, he doesn't have the same CV and success as those others, but he is one of the guys who has been around the Italian national team ranks for quite some time. With, Of course, most recently with the the under-21 side since, I believe, 2013-2014. So he's been around quite some time, and he knows some of the faces that have been uh, called up to this uh, this this current roster. And you know, again I'll just go over the um, the current roster that Biaggio announced on the weekend. Goalkeepers, we have Gianluigi Buffon, Donald Roma and Mattia Perrin. Of course, with with Buffon there were some, you know there was some back and forth between, you know, what he was going to do. Would he accept the call-up? You know, obviously the way it ended against Sweden at the San Siro, he left in tears. And some people thought that was kind of the end of the road for this old guard, if you will. Barzagli, De Rossi and and you know, Buffon specifically, those guys who were really around in that 26 World Cup, um, that magical 26 World Cup victory. With Buffon, you know, getting just starting with the goalkeepers. With Buffon, I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts on this situation? Because again, I know some people were kind of torn, and you know, they they feel that it's kind of time for him to pass the torch to a guy like Donnarumma, or you know, perhaps Mattia Perrin if that if Di Biagio thinks he's the right guy to at least in the next couple of years to take over for Buffon and kind of maybe get that make that transition a little bit easier to Donnarumma, who many feel is the long term replacement. So initially, what are your thoughts? I know you're a Juventus fan on um, Buffon you know, coming back from these mat- last two matches. So,
1: uh, of course, this has been a really contentious issue uh, with the Italian national team. Uh, will he or won't he come back? Gianluigi Buffon, Gigi Buffon, 40 years old. Uh, we all know what he's done. World Cup winner, one of the greatest goalies of all time. His resume speaks for itself. We all know who he is, uh, a legend of the game. Ag- agreed. I agree that, that the new guard uh, has to be ushered in. It's been a long time coming for the Azzurri to have in a new generation. Even uh, the old uh, old guard consisting of Barzali, De Rossi, Buffon, questionable to even have them even in uh, late 2017 at that point, even before the playoff rounds uh, against Sweden in that series. Uh, it was debatable on whether or not to have them or not. Uh, my personal opinion would have been to just have Barzali and De Rossi retire after, uh, after that Euro 2016 tournament. Um, I mean, they're still playing; they're still decent, but they're uh, they're not what uh, the Italy national team, not what a national any national team in the world needs right now. For Buffon, it's a little bit different. In his case, he's still playing pretty high level with Juventus in the Champions League and and in, in Italy, and he is uh, still having a decent season. Not his best; uh, he's had some shaky moments this season, but he's still fairly solid. I mean, there was a lot of speculation in the media whether or not he would he would go he would actually retire or not. To see him in tears retire after Sweden, it left a bitter taste in my mouth, uh, not just as a Juventus and Italy fan, but as a as a football fan in general. Just to see a legend like that go out in a disgraceful, embarrassing manner is not the way a man of that stature should go out. So I do agree that Di Biagio really owed it to him at least to, to give him one more shot. And I think one more testimonial match uh, possibly either with Argentina or England or both but I think a nice farewell uh, at Wembley would be really nice uh, a good a big ovation in front of 90,000 people even though the game is playing being played in London they they know the English fans um they can appreciate a good footballer when they see one and I think that'll be a great send-off for him now there there's even been speculation over the last few months that Buffon uh, could even go until he's 42 and play in Euro 2020 there's no confirmation about that. That would be a bit bit extreme. But I think for this time, for the, at least these few matches, I think it's warranted uh, at least to send him off uh, in this way. But, I mean, the uh, Buffon himself has actually admitted to, to needing to uh, reboot this national team. So he doesn't want to stand in the way of getting uh, of in the way of Gianluigi, Donnarumma, or Perin. Uh, so he himself doesn't really uh, feel it's necessary to... To, to be playing these games, but D.B. out of respect, called him up, and I think uh, that was the right thing to do in this case.
0: In a way, I do agree with that. I think, you know, one part of me is thinking for the future. Again, I think, you know, when, when you can see both sides of this, right, if you're an Azzurri supporter and someone who has been closely in on this team for for pretty much your entire life, you know, you, you see, obviously, how special a player Buffon has been for the national team, you know, the, the, the service he had to the entire national team and, and how much success he had with this, you know, as a captain and so i can kind of get the sense that you know you, you kind of want to let him go out and, in a, in a in a respectable manner and and get, honor him in the way he should be honored for for everything he's done for this for this team excuse me so i i could see that side of it but i think there's also the end of it where you know what there's that other side of the fan base who you feel that you know what we're prolonging what we shouldn't be prolonging. And in that, we're having these veterans kind of stick around. We're, we're, we're unwilling to hand over, you know, certain responsibilities to younger players who, let's face it, are the future of the Italian national team. At some point, you got to hand that over to some, some younger guys so they can usher in, again, as you mentioned, a new era that we need to, you know, kind of somewhat emulate with, you know, Germany and, and France. That's obviously been talked about quite often um, since, obviously, Italy failed to uh, qualify. However, I feel, you know, this call for Buffon by Di Biaggio, again, I think I did an article about it as well, what we can expect from Di Biagio's uh, Azzurri to Ventura's uh, failed Azzurri. I think what's an interesting thing to kind of take, in, take into account here is the fact that Buffon, I think, you know, he also feels he has a little bit of responsibility to this team and he wants to go out in a way that's a little bit more respectable. But I think he also wants to... Take the field one more time, and I think you know again, you know, pay tribute to uh, the late Davide Astori. Again, he touched upon that briefly, and I feel that's something that's kind of weighing in, in in the minds of pretty much everyone on this entire squad. Obviously, it goes without saying. I think that's something that you know they take pride and they want to they want to send the Atsuri off and and hand pass the torch to a new generation in the right way. So, uh, if for these two games, listen, if for me, if I look at Buffon. I have no issue seeing Buffon, you know, get the, get the send-off he deserves. I think that's something that's, you know, I'd like to see. I think this is what we should do. And I don't want I don't want to see this, this team, you know, treat certain individuals in, in the way they do. Again, we saw obviously what happened with Milan over the past couple years and how they treated certain individuals. And that's kind of a little bit of a different story. But you get the point, you know. You want to get some of these guys off in the right way and do it in a way that's you know, respectable and that could be, you know, celebrated. So for Buffon to play, you look, he's probably going to play one, or one of these two games Get a, a standing ovation as you just mentioned, and then again, you might see a guy like Perrine or Donnarumma start in the other game. I'm okay with that. I don't have any issues with that. Now, if we're going down the rest of the rest of the roster, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot to be optimistic about. Again, there are some veteran players in some, in my opinion, who I think really shouldn't have a spot on this team long term. But again, these are two games. These are the things can obviously change in the course of a couple months. Again, Italy has a lot to think about. They're not playing in the World Cup, so. The, you know, there, there's going to be some shuffling, to say the least, over the next several months. And, of course, international breaks and all that that come about. Defensively, we got Bonucci, we got Matteo Darmian, Matias Chio Al- Alessandro Florenzi, uh, Agbono, who actually replaced Giorgio Chiellini, Davide Zappacosta, Spinazzola, Rugani, and Gianmarco Ferrari, who, of course, he's the central defender for Samp. Looking at this team, I- I'm okay with this, this, this defensive... Um, unit that DiBiaggio is calling up. I think it has a little bit of a blend of younger players, some um, some older uh, veteran presence in the back. And I think, you know, it's kind of misleading in that, you know, if Ro- uh, Romagnoli and Caldara weren't banged up, you would have definitely seen them called up here. And I think, you know, it kind of speaks volumes that, as to what type of talent the Italian national team does have in the back. And I think that was somewhat of a concern for many people as what's the post-BBC era look like. And I think when you start to see some of these names, again, I'm not saying they're all going to be in the mix uh, down the line, but you know you have some promising guys here. And I think, you know, centrally at least, you know, you can look at Rugani, Caldara, and Romagnoli as a very respectable, successive group, if you will, to BBC. What are your What are your thoughts on, on Di Biagio's call-ups in the back? Do, do you like them? Do you agree with them for the most part? Disagree with them? Which ones are, um, you know, kind of hit or miss for you? I
1: think for, at this point in time, uh, they're fine. Uh, they're what we can expect uh, from a call-up at this point in March 2018 for a club, for a team that just failed to make the World Cup and is going through a transition, I think this is a decent mix uh, of basically, you know, this is the best that we have minus the injuries to uh, Romagnoli as well as Caldara. I think those two are, are big pieces for the future. For, as in terms of Chiellini, I think this this would have... Been, his call-up is more of a symbolic one just like Buffon. I don't see him being part of uh, the squad in Euro 2020. He might be... Depending on him, uh, he might be a part of the Italy team on the run for the uh, UEFA Nations League that is debuting in September. He he could be included maybe as a backup there. But I think we should really move on from from Chiellini. I mean, he's 33, 30, 34. He's, 30,
0: he's 33 years old. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. he's
1: still playing great for Juve like, um, in the, the match against Tottenham. He played really well. But, I mean, let's be realistic. It's time to put in some blue, new blood which the Italian national team is notorious of not doing. So, I mean, you give him a a game or two after, but I think... You just have to stop calling him up. Uh, whether he wants to, I mean, if he's a mature enough, he's a smart guy.
0: He'll know when to step down and when he, when he thinks it's time to kind of again let those others kind of step in and, and take up his his responsibilities. I I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. And I, think, I agree. Yeah. I think that's that's you know that's what you again you want to see that. I don't think you want to see a prolonged era because obviously this is what's going to get Italy back or not back into a hole, but kind of keep them in the hole they are in. Is kind of prolonging this thing and not letting it, um, you know, letting it kind of pass on and kind of again bring in that new blood. Let's let's see what these young kids can do. Again, there was obviously been a lot of criticism and you know um, concern with you know what the future holds for this Italian national team. Again, obviously those who who frequent calcio quite often we know what type of talent you have and I think on the world the world platform I think there's still some that are kind of you know they're looking at Italy and they're saying they didn't make the World Cup. You know, there's a lot of old guys kind of on their way out. What does the future hold for the Italian national team? And I think that's kind of interesting. And that's kind of what I want for me as a, as a Rattori supporter. And I, again, I, I'm sure you would agree, is for Italy to use these two friendlies as. I, I think, you know, people see friendlies and they they immediately think of, okay, well, they're not a qualification. You're not com- you know competing to get into a major tournament. You know, so again, you're going to see some, you know, again, a lot of substitutions. And sometimes people could t- tend to take these a little lightly. Italy can't afford to do that this time. I think you know, it's very important for them to get on the right foot under Di Biaggio again, if, of, course, of course, if he is the long-term replacement, and he really is going to be given this job. So again, I, I think overall, we really want to see Italy... Turn up for these performances. Again, England and Argentina, they're no pushovers. They're very good nations, and both are going to be at the World Cup. Obviously, we know the names. You just want to see a good showing. You want to see that there is you know, some light at the end of the road. There is a future for this team, and there is um, some players to be excited about. You know, Again, we're going to transition into the midfield, where, where there are several names for me that I think I'm both very excited about. And then there's a couple others who I think need to kind of elevate their game. And, of course, again, Marco parolo he's a guy that I feel is more on his way out. I think, you know, for, for what he was able to do in the you know, past several years, I think he was a good transitional player. I think he was able to hold it down in the midfield, be that transitional-type midfielder in that, you know, he could be able there to bridge the gap from one era to another. Marco Verratti, obviously, I'm a guy I, I do rate quite well, but I then I really am skeptical of because of, obviously, the competition he plays with um, at Paris Saint-Germain in Ligue 1. Giacomo Bonaventura, obviously having a very good year. He's elevated his game under Gattuso, much like several others on the Rossoneri roster. Roberto Gagliardini at Inter, he's picked it up a little bit lately. So, again, I can understand that call-up by Di Biagio. I think, more all, all things considered, despite his his rough form this year, Gagliardini expects to be one of those guys that's um, you know, part of the new Aturi regime. Jorginho, a guy I'm... <laughs> Fond would be an understatement. I think everyone knows I I, I love Jorginho quite, quite a bit. And I was kind of uh, bummed he wasn't called up earlier under Ventura. But again, that's in the past. We're looking to the future. And to see Jorginho on this list right from the jump definitely gives me the indication that Di Biagio does value him and wants to make him a pivotal part of the new Razzuri. And then just getting down to the last two minutes, so there's Brian Cristante and Lorenzo Pellegrini, both, again, 23 and under. Both are playing big roles for their teams this year. Both teams are competing for European spots. Obviously, Roma is going for a Champions League spot. Atalanta is going for that Europa League spot. So all in all, the midfield, I, I'm, I'm quite pleased with the midfield. I don't have any concerns there. I think maybe there could have been, if you're talking about formational things and, and, and players that maybe could have been snubbed, maybe Franco Vasquez. He was a guy that several people mentioned as a guy who should have been called up. But he's kind of more of that... Old, of that old-fashioned number 10 role. So overall, in the midfield, I think, did, did Biagio get this right? Did he miss anybody? What, what are your thoughts?
1: All right, in terms of the midfield, I think uh, it's it's pretty fine. I'll go through the list here. Bonaventura is, is all right. Decent choice. I mean, he's had a pretty good year. Uh, Cristante is a young player. Uh, you got to get a player like of that age of 23 who's had a great season, he seems to really be finding his form, and he's looked very comfortable at Atalanta. Finally, after having a few years and kind of uh, all over the place,
0: P- Palermo and Pescara, he was kind of floundering. And again, he made that move from Milan to Benfica. So it's again, it's good to see him. You know, it, it feels weird that he's only twenty three. He's been around since he was seventeen, making his debut for Milan as a teenager. So so, so to see him at twenty three, finally breaking in, and I think you again, you know, I'm sure you'll touch on it, but Cristante is probably one of those guys that you expect to be here long term, I think, you know, again, what he's been able to do at Atalanta this year, um, not only for his defensive work and everything like that under Gasparini, but he's scoring goals, and I think that's very interesting as well.
1: He can score, and he's very versatile. So that's a guy, type of guy, utility player, that is going to be very important going forward. Gagliardini, yeah, he's had a, a tough year at in, uh, Inter, but the reality is he's going to be part of the future, uh, of the Azzurri in the near future. Uh, so this would be a, a good test to build up his confidence a little bit and uh, kind of display his... Uh, uh, his form that he displayed last year with Atalanta That made him one of the bright prospects on the continent So uh, I'm okay with that one there uh, Jorginho, of course, is probably the best central midfielder in Italy uh, He's 26, turning 20, 27 He's in his prime I say you're going to get your, the, your best out of him From now until end of Euro 2020 uh, He would have been really good in the World Cup if they had made it He would have probably been one of the stars of the tournament Because he's, he's right in his prime so it's a shame he won't be in Russia in June. But um he's a he's the key he's the linchpin of this of this midfield. Barolo should not be on this team, period. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. He was pretty useless on the national team in the World Cup in twenty fourteen, non influential in twenty sixteen, uh he had zero role in that Ventura side of the of the past two years.
0: Ventura really made some players look really, really bad. <laughs> no, he was...
1: I mean, I mean, he's solid for Lazio, yeah. but uh, he's he's not good for the national team. I don't know why he's he's even here.
0: He was one of those guys that, you know, he had that, you know, he, he kind of elevated his game at the right time to play a role in maybe one, two tournaments. But I think it's clear, obviously, again, you you just touched on it. At 33, 34, he's not the guy that you really look to to play a big role. And, and I think... He's a guy that I, guess, I think is getting these call-ups just to kind of bridge the gap. To, you know, again, there's some guys who are injured and maybe could have been called up ahead of him, but more or less, again, as a unit, I think you know DiBiaggio got most of these names right. I don't think you're going to find many uh, many head scratchers, if you will. You know, again, with the exception of uh, maybe Parolo. I think overall a lot of these guys are what you expected to make the make the roster.
1: Yeah, and I just want to point out the squad list and the next two games. Let's let's just be clear once and for all. What happened in November when Italy didn't make the World Cup is a national and an international embarrassment. All these players' careers are on the line. That's how important, and you alluded to uh, these two friendlies not being uh, friendlies. These are very important. This is a tryout for these guys because these players are are not... Are, I mean, they their confidence is shaken. They have proven nothing that they are world-class. Uh, at, at this point, if I'm them, I would be embarrassed to even uh to I'd hang my head the whole time at covert Channel and in training because uh the fact that they're not in the world cup is disgraceful and it still is disgraceful even though it's five six months on Th- these games are a tryout because none of these guys are guaranteed a spot on this team that's how that that's how De should uh approach this game um that all these players are on a tryout because nothing is guaranteed from and not just these two games from now until maybe, the next five,
0: fa- fa- you know, yeah, maybe even like the first few starts, games in yeah. there.
1: Like this is none of these guys uh, are guaranteed a spot.
0: There's a lot. There's a lot of fr. There's a lot of fringe players. You know, when I was looking at this roster, I, I found it very fascinating. Again, overall, 26 names. I, I agreed with most of them. There was a couple players. I think you know. Again, we can talk about the attack. You know, I'm not going to go too much in depth. And overall, I think most of the names in the attack deserve their call again with the exception of probably Antonio Condreva he hasn't been a guy that I've been fond of recently he, he's a guy that seems to be pretty decent for the Italian national team in spells but he's a guy that kind of uh, for every 10 crosses he makes one of them is good and at least from what I've seen what I observe on a weekly basis with him at Inter and I think he's one of those guys that falls into that bracket of that you just mentioned a lot of players who are or trying out, I mean, you look at Mateo Darmiani, he's 28, he's got 36 caps, you look at a guy like, um, you know, Candreva, you look at Parolo, these guys are not guaranteed, they're kind of in that bracket of 28-29, you know, to 33, where if they don't show us something in these next two games, you know, there's a good chance that maybe they fall out of favor and they kind of, you know, vanish, again, we saw in the attack, no Eder, you know, he was a guy that, you know, Ventura called up quite a bit, Conte called up quite a bit, Conte was able to get, you know, more out of him than obviously Ventura was, but you know when you look at some of these the players in the attack I mean Immobile Sereno's top scorer having a great season Lorenzo Insigne was underutilized by Ventura especially in those last two games against Sweden Belotti Simone Verdi Chiesa and Cutrone so you're seeing that there are some younger players being called up and uh, you know, again, we, we we can touch upon you why Balotelli wasn't called up, and, and we can get all caught up, and I'd probably do a separate podcast on that when you throw in the fact that Raiola had his, had his take on it. When you look at the entire roster, top to bottom, the average age of it's it's kind of on that twenty sixth, um, the twenty five to 26, which again, it it looks good for the future, but it could be possibly younger, you know, after this, you know, this these next two games, Parolo, uh, Buffon. Uh, you know some of these guys. You know they they're kind of on that in the twilight of their career with the with the Thai national team, in my opinion. So it's going to be interesting to see how Di Biagio approaches these games against Argentina and England. Does he go with again? They have a lot of they have the luxury of using you know several different subs, and it's not just three per game. So they have that. He has that to his advantage, so he can kind of tinker and do what he needs to do to experiment. But when you look at who he has to work with, it's cl- it's quite clear. That he is thinking of the future, at least in my opinion. I, I did an article on this, how I thought his his authority could be a little bit more progressive. I don't know how much more progressive than Ventura's, but you're getting a sense that, you know, with guys like Chiesa and Kutrone, who are 20 years old each, they're the future players. They're the guys that you want to see getting called up on a regular basis. So I like that element of his squad. And again, looking at the grand scheme of things. I think he did well with his first call up. I think he's kind of um, if he's trying to assemble a squad to kind of convince and kind of uh, convince the if if to to keep him on as the the long time repl- long term replacement, he needs to get a squad that can at least compete in these next two games and show us a little something that there is um, you know a path if you will to that will get Italy back to the summit of, of, of in the world. So, you know, looking at these two games in you know, Argentina and England, I think. Let's talk about what type of formations we can expect in these games. I, I feel for me, and then I'll pass it on to you. I don't want to go talk too much, but Ventura was criticized quite a bit for the moves he made, the moves he didn't make, um, especially in the latter stages of World Cup qualifying. You know, some of the formations he chose were were head scratching, to say the least. Again, that four 2 four against Spain, which got overrun, we got destroyed, and that kind of really showed, you know, some of his some of his major flaws in that tactical sense. I think Di is going to go with a little more conservative approach. I think he may try to keep things simple, maybe a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1, maybe a 4-4-2, and you know, just kind of see you know who fits where, how his scheme looks with the personnel he has. What are your initial thoughts on you know the formational approach that he's going to take with these two games? Because obviously that comes into play when you look at how many midfielders they have and how many good attacking players they have. Do you think they're going to go four at the back? Do you think they're going to three at the back? How much do you think they're going to go with in the midfield? What do you, what do you think? So
1: uh, before I get I I'll get to the formation in just a sec. I just want to make a few more comments just uh, round, uh, rounding up the midfield and the attackers. Quickly, um, I do like the addition of Pellegrini, who um, another future player. He's very raw right now, but he has shown some flashes at Roma. So Playing a yeah, lot too. He's, he's, he's playing he's a playing, big role for yeah, Roma. Yeah, I mean, finally yeah. you got a, a young Italian who's actually playing for one one and a in Champions the Champions League, league for too. one of the top teams finally about after like you know 15 years so um you <laughs> know I mean, that's good veratti um i don't know i don't know what to say about this guy because for so long he's you know he was dubbed the next pirlo or very you know the next best deep lying midfielder quite frankly i don't care what he does in france in ligue 1 because uh psg's i mean it, the, the league their league in france is a joke so whatever success he's had there uh, is not going to really translate. I mean, even against Real Madrid, he's prone to be in the past too rash and uh, very undisciplined, and he just doesn't show up in big games. And we'll go back, and, you know, back to that uh, game against Spain where he got dummied, absolutely nutmegged and embarrassed by Isco. And Verratti's been playing longer than Isco has at, at this level, and he just got dummied. And um, I don't know when he's going to take off. he's 26. he's not going to develop anything further, but um, this goes into the formation. If he gives if gives him a, a shot on, on the right, mi- on right midfield with Jorginho in the middle and a 433, I think he'll do okay, but that remains to be seen. Again, we'll see how, how he does there. And in terms of attack, Players you mentioned, I'm okay with all of them. Um, although the one notable absence that's injured is Federico Bernardeschi from Juventus. I think he's going to be the the, the starting uh, right winger, I think, going forward.
0: Kandreva's a pro- replacement. Kandreva's, you know, replacement.
1: Y- yeah, Kandreva, yeah, uh, I, I can't stand. I cannot stand him. I don't care how many assists he has for Inter. He's slow. He's predictable. I, I hope to God this is his last run on the national team because no disrespect to the guy. But he's had his, his shot, and he's done. Uh, Chiesa on the left wing eventually will replace uh, Insignia. although, I mean, in the Under-21 Championship of last year, Chiesa did not perform as as I ex- had expected, even though uh, with all the hype in the media. I think Bernadeschi carried that team, and he was their best player in the Under-21 tournament last year. And I think he's going to be a key, important part of this team going forward. Unfortunately, he's injured right now or else he'd be here in that 4-3-3, but in terms of a, of a formation, a 4-3-3 will go best, or a 4-2-3-1, uh, we have to utilize the wings, because right now, unfortunately, in Italy, we haven't produced a number 10 in a long time, and it doesn't seem like we're going to produce any anyone coming up uh, as of now, so I think we've got a plethora of, of wingers, and utilize them. Um, even guys like Stefano El-Sharawi, who, who isn't even on the team, um, another winger like an example of another winger that we there's many wingers being produced by Italy. in terms of the starting forward um i would give patrick Cutrone a chance uh he's 20 years old he's uh he's got those goals. characteristics of a poacher yeah he's, he's scoring goals, key goals all yeah and he's scoring key goals unlike um his counterpart chiro immobile who uh, just a guy like i don't care how many goals this guy has he didn't perform when it counted the most Either for Lazio or for or for the national team. So to me, he's it's just, he's just a flash in the pan, and he's just it's an illusion. He's not as good as he seems. Um, like the goal he scored a few weeks ago against Galliati. At first I said wow, and then I realized it was him, and I said wow because he can score such a great Ibrahimovic like goal, one of the best goals you'll ever see. But then against Sweden, when it mattered most, he misses a sitter and he doesn't come clutch.
0: Him him, him and him, uh, we could kind of speak a little bit on Belotti, although Belotti's four years younger. And, you know, again, he's kind of been hit with the injury bug lately this season versus last year where he erupted in a big way and was one of the top scorers. I think Belotti obviously has a spot on the team long-term, as does Immobile. But there's a little bit of opportunity, I think, in my opinion, for Guterrone to kind of burst in here. You know, he's, again, six months ago, he was making his U21 debut under Di Biagio. Di Biagio calls him up now. And you know he he has and if you look at his track record his track record throughout is you know the ranks of the Italian national team he's consistently scoring and I think that's very interesting I think this is a guy that the Italian national team needs maybe he's not you know the quickest guy maybe he's not the flashiest in terms of his on- the ball skill but what he does he always seems to be positioned in the right place at the right time and he's always scoring big goals and I think, you know, a guy like him, you look at, you know, maybe not, obviously, he probably he was, what, 19 years old during the, the game, two games against Sweden. But that's what you need. Sometimes, you know what, these goal scorers that are doing, you know, fantastic in the league, you need to produce for the national team. I think that's something that the Italian national team has been missing for a long time. And I think that was one of the reasons why so many people were upset, the fact that Balotelli wasn't called. Balotelli has been ousted by Conte and Ventura for the past several years, really. Despite the fact that in, couple, in the past two seasons at Nice, he's been he's been tearing it up. Again, of course, you take that maybe with a small grain of salt. League one competitions maybe not as strong as say you know Premier League or Serie A, La Liga, and the like. But he was a guy that produced for the Italian national team, and you get you, you wonder you know maybe a guy like Ballotelli you know it, it, he's ready to make a comeback. You can't put a price on goals, especially for the fact. You know, in, in major competitions like he's been able to do over the uh, over the over his course of his his national team career. So again, no, not to go too much in, further into it because it's something we could talk about quite a bit. But Bolotelli would have been a guy I would have loved to see on this team. Again, you just look at the, some of the names here. Where would he have fit in? Maybe over Belotti. belotti has been out of form, so maybe again Bolotelli does have a, a future. Um, you know, spot back with the Azzurri. But again, it's not going to come this time, unfortunately, which I think you know most people would have uh, would have liked to see because I think they do feel he has turned the corner from um, an attitude standpoint, and if you can get the attitude to go along with the fact that he's such a gifted player and a different striker, than what Italy has that feels like a guy who can play a role down the line, maybe you know in that Euro qualification phase because he's only twenty seven, he still has several years left in the tank where he can play a, a big role for for the Atsuri. So that's something that's going to be. Um, monitored over the uh you know next couple months if you will but
1: he'll be there in September I I think so. I, he'll he'll be there
0: I think so and I think you know someone touched upon it on uh on Twitter to me they mentioned me you know do you think this is something about a mentality thing because you know D.Biaggio talked about you know Balotelli you know he has this, he you know definitely considering him and it kind of made it seem like D.Biaggio was going to go that route and call him up and then all of a sudden you know he kind of you know flipped the script and he decided not to go with him so you know, maybe some people are saying is that a test of his mentality? Is he gonna mail it in? Is he gonna be a little bit upset? And, and it's you know so it's gonna be interesting to see. I just don't I, I feel that you know Balotelli deserved the call up this time, but Di uh, it's his decision, and I think you know he made the uh, whether he made the right decision or the wrong decision that remains to be seen. I think that we'll kind of get an idea of that in the next two games, and uh, you know again if Immobile and Bellotti whoever does uh, start up front struggles then all of a sudden you'll get, this, you'll, you'll get the criticism again and there'll be that media coverage of, why didn't you call Balotelli up? Why didn't you give him the opportunity? He's probably at least most you know, productive uh, striker in terms of what he's been able to do both for a club and country over the past several years. So um, it, it remains to be seen what Balotelli's future holds for the national team. Again, I think most of us agree, especially at Italian Football Daily, that you know, uh, we do think he does deserve his, his return. But moving on to these next two games, um, you know, I touched on it a little bit earlier, Tactically, what formation do you think Di Biagio should go with for these two games? I think he's going to obviously change a little bit. You know, I don't think he's going to go with um, the same formation or the same personnel in both games. He may see him tanker during the match as well. But overall, what type of setup can you expect from him? Uh, you know, in these two games with the guys he has.
1: Like I mentioned earlier, uh, you're going to expect three wingers or three forwards at least at the top. And it really doesn't matter who the personnel is or really the formation. He could. Uh, like you said, tinker it, uh, kind of do like a, a modify it uh, halfway through. In, in the end, I think it's going to be a four-three-three three, or four-two-three-one. I don't think we're going to see three at the back. It would very really surprise me if if he would put in three at the back. Yeah. I highly doubt it. I so, don't see it. Um, you can expect uh, about three or four forwards at at any given time. Do
0: you think? Do you? I, someone asked me this question on Twitter, and I thought it was very interesting because obviously. They do play somewhat similar roles, although I think they do have some differing qualities. Do you believe that you can play a formation with both Jorginho and Verratti? You know, maybe a 4-2-3-1, maybe a 4-3-3 with Jorginho playing as more of a, a traditional central midfielder. Do you think that's something that Di Biagio could go with? Because I think, look, if you can get a, find a way to get Verratti to elevate his game and to play to his ability, and also while not being able to while not sacrificing Jorginho for who has... You hope we'll be making up for lost time that he didn't have with the and really getting his minutes. Do you feel that they can co- coexist on the pitch and pl- pretty much form a, um, a good base for the uh, for the midfield?
1: I really do think so. And uh, if Di really wants to, I think it's very important that he does play them both at the same time because this is really... You're getting two of your best uh, passing midfielders at, on the same pitch at the same time is only a benefit to the club. So Veratti usually plays uh, on the right or left side at PSG. Uh, traditionally, on the Italian National team, he's been put in the middle and he struggled. So Jorginho's uh, pre- primarily been uh, in, in the the middle of that four three three 3 at Napoli. So I think maybe try them both out. Uh, you could probably play Veratti a little bit more wider, a, f- a little bit further up. Uh, or They could even be parallel, really, with a, a young guy like Pellegrini I would like to see on the left because Pellegrini is the type of guy who likes to go forward. And then maybe Jorginho can drop back a little bit and cover that uh left side. And Verati could kind of shift between the right and the middle. Because they're all versatile and they can pretty much play anywhere along along that middle of the park. So I think it'd be uh imperative for Di Biaggio to, to attempt that. If he wants to have a career as the Italian national team coach beyond this month, I think he's gotta have to try. He's got to be innovative, and he's got to try new things. He's got to
0: be able to get Verratti to play to his ability. I think that's been such a big thing now. Several people have told, have talked to me about, well, how can you expect a guy like Verratti to play, you know, so exceptional for the Italian national team when his partner is De Rossi? And then again, that's no offense to De Rossi. De Rossi, obviously, has been a staple in the midfield for, for years. But I think, obviously, it's clear, clear his, his, his time was... Way do with with the role he did play for for Italy. Maybe there is that possibility that you know what, you have now that you have a guy like Jorginho, you have maybe a Gagliardini or a Cristante, some of those guys in there that are younger and I think a little bit more on the upswing in their career that maybe that can help Veratti really elevate his game and really kind of start to be the midfielder that Italy needs because everyone has been claiming him as the guy that the, the heir to Pirlo and so far I haven't personally seen again he's still very young he's 25 but you feel that he's been playing such a big role and he's or he's been having that spotlight on him for such a long time and we really haven't gotten to see him uh, gotten to see him play to that world class level so That's something that's going to be, for me, one of the biggest focuses on is how Verratti performs. I think, obviously, at 25, he's a big part of this team moving forward, despite the fact that he's kind of in that that position in his career where you feel that he should be taking that next move and that next leap um, to superstar status, if you will, and being one of the best midfielders in the world that many believe he can be. So, again, that's going to be something that we need to monitor over these next two games because, obviously, the midfield does need some new life. It does need some fresh blood and it does need, you know, just a, that much more quality. So I agree with you what, what you were saying on the attack. I think he's going to go with something like a four three three. 3 3 You know, he's going to have wingers. You know, you look at the guys he brought, obviously, Verdi, Insigne, Pelotti, Immobile, some guys who are pretty, um, especially Insigne and Ver- uh, Verdi, who are flexible, guys who are not limited to a central role, can cut in, you know, can dribble, can make some things happen. So he does have a couple options. I just don't want to see him go with... Uh, you know, Cantreva and and you know you know guys like Mateo Darmian and, and all these different guys who, I, let's face it, I, I they've had their opportunity to to show us what they're about, and I think it's quite clear that their time should be done. So I, I think you know, we, look, as long as he start, I think he can win over many people if he just simply goes with some of the younger kids. He gives Coutrone a nod, maybe Chiesa gets some minutes. And he really just goes that route. If he starts playing with some of those older guys and gives them the full minutes and doesn't even acknowledge the fact that he has some promising young players that are supposed to be part of the future, that's where he starts to get into a little bit of our uh, rough waters here. Because, let's face it, it's it shouldn't be that difficult for someone to upstage Ventura for the way he handled the, the, the national team uh, in the latter stages of his tenure – it should be pretty simple for Di Biagio to to win over some people in the in the in the um, interim at least and get at least some sort of life and some sort of positivity back in this fan base because uh, we definitely need it.
1: Keep in mind, they're still under the shadow of Ventura and they're still under the shadow of that dark cloud of, of not making the World Cup. So it's it's going to take time uh, to kind of uh, reboot here. I mean, I know that these these friendlies are important, but we won't really be moving. Like, it'll all be decided. After the World Cup, once uh, uh, a national team coach is solidified, then I think we'll finally be able to move on completely. But this is just really uh, a kind of in between uh, between that time and it's a and, transitional and, phase, it's a transition, exactly. So I mean, as long as these guys, these lads, just play their hearts out, and uh, I think put, they will. I th- I hope so. They better.
0: I ex- I expect. I, I really do expect them to to come out fighting. I think you know they don't want to have that lasting impression. Especially some of the older guys, like you know Bonucci or Parolo, Candreva. Those guys, Buffon, especially as well. You know, he's not gonna wanna. You know, have a, a shocker um, on the to go out in that manner. I think he's those guys have it. You know, they owe it to the Italian national team, they owe it to themselves, they owe it to the fans to go out in the right way and to turn up for their for their nation. And I think that's something that's going to be very key to focus on is how we respond after those those miserable legs against Sweden. How we respond to the fact that we are going to be on the couch watching the World Cup. Uh, you know, while our power, the, the other uh, super nations are are going for for the uh, for the glory. So. I expect a unified effort. I really do hope that Di Biagio can get this team to turn into respectable performance. I'm not expecting, you know, a, a you know 2-3-0 victory over England and, and Argentina, but I give us hope. Give us hope that there is a future, that there is a bright future, that there is a, a direction that is forward that can really give some positivity to the national team, to the supporters, and to to Italy as a nation because to see them not not in the World Cup, it just feels weird to me. It still feels weird to me, and I think it's going to be even weirder, um, in the you know in the uh, introduction of the tournament. That's always something where we take pride in, you know, singing the national anthem and all these different things. To see them not in there is going to be um, you know, pretty pretty difficult to stomach. So I want to see them kind of come out fighting and really turn up these next two games because they nearly owe it to uh to everyone. That they do. All right, so. Before we wrap up, I, you know, just want to talk a little bit briefly about the uh, Syria TV rights deal. Of course, it's been something that's been talked about um, over the past several months. Obviously, there is, you know, a lot of good benefits with this with this new TV rights deal. There's a lot of long term things that we still have to kind of iron out and kind of understand. Joe, from from what you've read, from what you've researched, from what you gather from this entire deal, what do you think the the regular Calcio supporter, Calcio viewer should know. What, what things do you think will benefit most from this TV rights deal? Because from what I've read um, recently, again, not too much. I haven't kind of touched on it recently. But it looks like to be it's a pretty sweet deal. It's going to have more access for for global access for for the um, the Calcio lovers, and it's going to be able to put essentially Calcio back up into that upper echelon in terms of you know viewership and, and and popularity. And I think that's something with the that's something that Serie A needs because it is a great league, has plenty of talent, plenty of quality. It's very exciting. Obviously, that the Serie A race can support that. What do you think? calcio fans should know about this rights deal and how it's going to impact them
1: so uh there's a lot of great material on our website uh, www.italianfootballdaily.com on the financial uh, ramifications of this deal and the, those details uh, i won't get into those specifics but for the calcio fan you need to know that this is the best deal, the most lucrative deal that Serie A has ever had. A combined uh, domestic and uh, international revenue is going to be about 1.5 billion euros, this third highest in Europe after the Premier League and La Liga. Uh, this is going to be a very good deal for all teams. The money is going to be spread out um better for uh, everyone else so there will be more money to, to be thrown around for all the teams which can only help we're uh, so an important thing to know so rather than mediaset and sky the traditional two powerhouses in italy the rights were actually bought off by a spanish company called media pro which was later bought off by a, uh, a chinese consortium but media pro does the, uh, the la liga tv rights and have has been doing them for a while and um I don't know if you guys watch uh, uh, La Liga, but the quality of their presentation of of the game has increased significantly. It's actually better to watch aesthetically than the Premier League in terms of the presentation style, and that's what really gets me excited as a culture fan to see this kind of uh, stuff being implemented. And I'll get to why I'm so excited in a minute, but for um, culture fans internationally, uh, we're going to be seeing more more options um and more game time. So there will be more matches on Saturdays and Sundays. There will be more, more times for all our international viewers around the world in your various time zones. You'll be able to watch some steady uh, action. Uh, for those like myself, we're still a little bit old school of Rai Italia, formerly Rai international. Um, according to the deal, they have to make the games HD. So it's not 1980 anymore. We can, (laughs) we're finally in this century. So I'm excited for that (laughs) in the Italian language, uh, for those living outside of Italy, uh, in terms of the North American rights, uh, like myself and Matt, we live here in North America. I live in Toronto. Matt is in New York. Uh, we don't know who has the rights for that just yet. Cedia has been in talks with uh, with CBS, with NBC, and even Fox as well uh, to try to package uh, FA Cup and Cedia in one shot, which could be interesting. I would love to see SETI on a major international uh, or national american network that would probably not probably it will help them immensely just like it's helped with nbc with the premier league and fox with the bundesliga but that remains to be seen there are a couple of players as well this might be the first deal where we see facebook or amazon actually buy rights for uh for for our league because right now they've been they've been trying they've been thinking about it uh, these two companies for a long time uh but the premier league they which is the um Whatever your opinion of the Premier League is, it's the best marketed uh, league in the world, and it's the most lucrative. So uh, Facebook and Amazon have been eyeing the Premier League. However, they've, they just cost too much. So as a trial basis, they might pick up SETI and kind of test it out on Amazon Prime or on Facebook uh, streaming, which would be, one, really good for the league because more people would be able to get it through the Internet. And it would probably be even on Amazon more affordable, about eighty dollars per year for Prime. If you're going to order stuff anyways, you get um, the TV uh, uh, show package. Um, they've got some good shows on their platform as well, so that would definitely help. Said yeah.
0: I just want to touch real quick on Joe, and then before before you continue on, because I think you know again, there's a lot to, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of details, and there's a lot of benefits to this package in terms of uh, you know viewership, access, quality, as you just mentioned with the HT. I think that's kind of a Something we shouldn't be talking about that much, and something we shouldn't be concerned about in 2018. But again, obviously, as you know, um, Italy, Italian football, and they're kind of in that the old age of doing things. They're not with the times, but again, it's better late than never, I guess. So go, the fact that we're getting HD uh, football is obviously going to be better for us in terms of the quality of of, of viewing, but also on the ice. Uh, I think what's you know when you talk about Facebook and how the streaming. Uh, aspect of things coming because i think that's such a big thing nowadays i just want to really quickly jump in and, and, and point out that mls teams are going this route and, and they're getting their they're, they're streaming games on youtube tv lafc reached a deal with them at the end of january that is it, it came out they reached a uh, multi uh, multi-year agreement with youtube tv um, it's basically su- uh, scrip- uh, excuse me subscription based content where you can pretty much pay per month and you get access to all the games. Obviously, other features that YouTube TV offers. But I think that's something that's going to be interesting as well. I think more importantly, again, from the, aside from the sporting benefits and the revenues that it's going to bring to the teams, I think the big thing is for for us. Obviously, we're not professional footballers, but we are. Calcio lovers, more than anything else, is access. I think you know the the fact that we still have to you know you know still have to search for streams and you know all these different things to find the game we love so much. It's kind of frustrating. It's annoying. There's certain people I talk to and they're saying, "Do you have a stream? Do you have access to the game?" There's the interest in Syria. That's that goes without saying, especially in the United States and you know New York, New Jersey. This area, we we love Calcio over here. And I think, obviously, you can agree with that as well Um, up north in uh, Toronto, Montreal, and those areas, that the interest is there for Coucho. Just give the access. And I think with this new TV rights deal, you're going to hopefully see that. You're going to hopefully see Coucho be a little bit more accessible, you know, whether it be on mobile phones, iPads, laptops. And I think that's something that's very, very important if it really, if Serie A really wants to get into that um, that tier and and get, start competing heavily with you know Premier League and La Liga and Bundesliga. Bundesliga does really well in this country as well. On Fox, they need to have this done in a manner that is going to be very beneficial for the for the fan. And I think that's something that's going to be um, definitely we want to keep an eye on.
1: You've made great points. Uh, it should be focused on the fan and the presentation style. So. What many articles and many other podcasts of, uh, out there have, have described kind of the details of this deal financially, but no one's really talked about um, the presentation style and what they want to see. And what I mean by that, for those listening, uh, if I can give you a picture, if you've ever watched the Serie A, uh, you notice that the scoreboard is in the top left and it's a very boring blue color. And uh, the writing on the bottom when they have the teams come out and when they have the score at the bottom, it's just a, a solid blue uh, bar at, at the bottom it's not interactive enough and it's not flashy enough la liga has a um it's black with white trimming and it's very flashy very quick uh, very flashy on the screen engaging. It's, engaging, it's engaging exactly right. uh, that's something that A right. doesn't have and uh even in the player intros you'll notice la liga they have uh like the world cup and the euros they have the players folding their arms in uh, in the starting lineups and la liga is taking it one step further with having uh they have the a- actual whole field and they have the actual like 3d holograms of the players standing in their formation which i thought was really cool which they've had for this year and since media pro is the same company that produces la liga if we can have that in seria that would be even better now on the flip side we'd have to have um a better presentation of the stadiums in seria now we're not going to get into the stadium debate here because I mean we could do a podcast on just that alone. Um, we know that there's a problem with attendance in Serie. A. The uh, the stadiums in Italy are outdated. It's too bureaucratic to get their own stadiums. They're municipally owned. The, the warning the, the running tracks. We get it. We know that's been a problem for, since Italia '90, and unfortunately it does. It's not going to get any better anytime soon. This is like a long-term deal that, I mean, they have to hash out between themselves. However, what they can do and what media pros instilled is that they've got a couple of conditions for the teams um, that they have to meet or else they get uh, fined, one of them being the grass has to be the same color, and the other, um, the tribuna section, which is the the, the side section you can see on television facing the camera, must be full. Um, Doesn't matter if other parts of the stadium are empty, but that side's got to be full for the camera. So um, teams will have to abide by that rule, or they get fined, and I think that's a good, good measure for, uh, for the league, uh, and it's going to help. It's, it's going to help them uh, in, in the presentation style. And one last thing I'll add, in terms of, uh, in terms of the presentation style, seria has got to get more, uh, more different camera angles behind the net, on the side. I'd love to see if we could. this could happen, have drones kind of fly around with cameras. That'd be epic to see uh, if Serie A could be so innovative and kind of have drones with cameras. kind of Then you can see all sorts of angles from every side. More shots of the fans. This is one thing that I really like about the game of football is uh, and compared to our North American sports is um, when they flash the camera to the fans to see their reactions, like you see people complaining and pissed. And cheering, and you see, you know, little kids, um, you know, with joyous after a goal and smiling, it gets me the same feeling as when I was a kid. Uh, that same glee in, in their eye, I see that when they show the kids on television. And also, they got to show more beautiful women in the crowds. They they <laughs> do this in the World Cup, and it's not. I'm not even. This is not about, you know, me. It's, it has nothing to do with um, with anything perverted or, or or sexual here. But this is all a marketing ploy because if you look at FIFA. 2014 World Cup, they would do this a lot, and they're going to do this in Russian in 2018. Guarantee you, mark my words, they're going to have camera guys looking specifically for the most attractive-looking women in the crowd, and they're going to point the cameras at them just like they have in the past, and they're going to do it again.
0: It's about p- appearance and presenta- presentation, exactly how it's pre- how it's how it's presented to you know both the diehard fan base and but the casual fan that wants to watch, and I think that's again. If you're able to appeal to a casual fan, someone who's maybe tuning in for the first time, second time trying to get interested in Coucho, that's you, you want to make a good impression. you want to be able to show that it's, it's modern, it's adapted, and, and it's kind of more or less in line with how sports should be viewed in 2018. And I think again, you know, everything you touched upon is fantastic. And I, you know, you, with all those details and everything combined you get this feeling that, you know, this this is what Calcio needs. Calcio can really benefit from this TV rights deal, and you hope that this is something that's going to be able to lead to bigger and better things down the line for, um, for Calcio because we definitely want to be able to be in that, again, that category with, you know, Premier League and, and La Liga and, and Bundesliga who do a fantastic job with presentation, the visuals, analysis at halftime. All those different things come into play, and, you know, when I'm watching and you're know, about 15 minutes in between, you know, halves, you want to see those interactive things. You want to see those engaging diagrams and all those different things come into play because it really adds to the the effect. It really adds to the, the, the game itself. And it really gives you a little bit more insight. It educates you. And I think that's something I always look for when I'm watching games as well, aside from the fact that I do love football, I love the the little tidbits that the maybe the commentary's adding or the, you know, halftime, you know, announcers or halftime And fun facts, like different stats. Exactly, and I think, you know, again, we, you know, to wrap up there, you know, Fox Sports, when they do air, you know, the Champions League games, their panel are picking apart the game. They're picking apart with both, obviously, their words and their commentary and their insight, but also, you know, diagrams, you know, uh, arrows and, and little heat maps and all those little trinkets that come into play. They may seem like they're like ticky tacky things, but I think those are really big in terms of keeping people engaged and keep, 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 uh, keeping people interested in these matches. So that it's going to be interesting to see. Again, of course, as more details come out, definitely uh, we will be covering it on the site. So make sure you're following Italian Football Daily on Twitter, at the Time FD. And again, you always visit the website at ItalianFootballDaily.com for more on the TV rights deal. Uh, Transfer news, breaking news, everything about the the Azzurri until the um, until the end of the season, of course, as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be an exciting time uh, coming up. Serie, a, we know is it's been a great race to the finish, and it's going to go down to the wire. So stay tuned for that on our uh, on ItalianFootballDaily.com and, and following us on Twitter. Uh, but Serie a is on the bounce. I think the Azzurri will be reborn um, in the next few months, and we should see an improved. National team, uh, an improved Serie a. and with this TD, TV deal kind of um, culminating the whole thing, I think we're going to see a rise in Italian football in, within the next decade. And uh, I'm just excited uh, to be a part of it, and uh, it should be fun. So stay tuned for that, uh, culture fans. Um, there's so much more to come, and this is just the beginning.
0: Absolutely, Joe. Again, those two friendlies coming up um, against Italy against Argentina on the 23rd. And then, of course, that game against Eng- uh, England on the twenty-seventh. We will definitely be giving you guys the um, the scoop on where you guys can watch those games, how you guys can find them online. Of course, we do offer. Um, uh, uh, we do have the op- option of get- offering football tv you guys can sign up with us as well if you guys are looking to watch uh giving a platform to watch the game so we will definitely share all that with you guys in the build-up to these two matches so you guys have access and you guys can watch these games as well because obviously we know they are very important so again i'm matt santangelo you can follow me on twitter at matt underscore santangelo i'm with joe you can follow him on twitter at joe antonio c this is the italian football daily podcast signing off thank you guys have a great day